SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, 2020 season continues to get weirder, but uh, it just means things are getting all the more exciting in CUSA. Uh, Joe Lonergan here with you, ready to uh, talk some CUSA football. And finally, off the IR, Mr. Eric Henry, feeling much better this week. Hey, everyone. I apologize for the absence wisdom teeth are uh you know what this is a pg podcast or else i would cuss uh i think that was a pain in the butt to deal with but uh i am back and ready to go happy to be chopping it up with my man joe Lonergan again awesome yeah glad to have you back buddy uh with that then we got a lot to catch up on in the football world uh let's start with uh western kentucky and the fact that uh they look concerning right now uh they drop another one to uab 37 to 14 blazers jump out to four and one to start the season and two and oh in cusa meanwhile tops one four one and two in cusa play uh Tyrell Pigram had some turf toe. So Kavaris Thomas got the start, played the whole game at, uh, at quarterback. So uh, ultimately not an amazing day for the young guy, uh, two touchdowns, but also two interceptions as he goes 16 to 35. Uh, Dwayne McBride getting 10 carries and 131 yards and a touchdown on the ground for UAB. So, you know, I think UAB was just able to do what we know they're able to do really well, which is run the ball, control the clock, and play great defense. And that's how they just beat Western Kentucky into the ground in this one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing for UAB. They have a formula, right? You know, credit Bill Clark. It doesn't matter who they trot out there, whether it's Bryson Lacero or Dwayne McBride, you know, it doesn't have to be Spencer Brown. They have a formula. They're going to play good defense. They're going to run the football and they're going to make you beat them. Uh, The concerning thing on on my end, (coughs) sorry about that cough. Excuse me. The the concerning thing on my end for, for Western Kentucky. So it's two parts, Joe, they've had a tough schedule. You know, they've played Louisville when they granted Louisville, I believe is one and three or one and four, but at the time they looked like a tough team. Uh, when they lost to Louisville, they played Marshall, you know, they played UAB. They played more or less the cream of the crop so far in Conference USA. So I'm not going to, you know, bang on the one and four record as much as Joe. The the things that were working for them last year are seemingly not working for them. And granted, you lose Lucky Jackson. That's not, you know, that's not an easy player to replace. You lose Jacor Pearson early on, you know, uh, the, right now, probably your number one receiving target is Josh Simon, the big tight end. But I going into the year, it felt like this was a team who they just needed a quarterback, right? And and when you talk about Piggy T, Tyrell Pigram, I'm not gonna say that he was the main issue with the offense, although one could have their own concerns about the throws that he missed. But you see, you insert Kavaris Thomas, who's the highest rated recruit in the history of Western Kentucky football. Joe and I have talked about him, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast. It wasn't like things changed. You know, granted, Tyrell Pigram battled the turf toe, and we'll see what the issue is. But it's not a quarterback situation. It is a uh, entire offense situation. I look at Gage Walker, a guy who has 37 carries for 111 yards through five games. That's troubling because he was a thousand yard rusher last year. So, you know, that's just kind of my overall spiel on Western Kentucky. But credit UAB, they've got a formula, and they're four and one. That they do. Uh, Bill Clark doing a, some great work with the Blazers as he uh, has really gotten into the habit of doing the last few years. But uh, yeah, I couldn't really agree more with what you said about Western Kentucky. I think Kavaris Thomas, I think given more time, he'll develop into uh, 
a, you know, the great quarterback. We always kind of knew he was, but if you're going to throw him into the fire at this point in the season, then, you know, of course you're going to get these kind of results, especially when you're playing uh, as talented a team that Bill Clark has. Um, with that, then let's, let's talk about uh, what happened in the state of Texas for a couple minutes. Uh, and that's army beating UTSA 28 to 16, uh, low on cease under center for most of this game for UTSA. Frank Harris played a little bit, but, uh, not, Obviously enough to really make a difference here. Uh, another good day for Sincere McCormick, though. 18 carries for 133 yards. Uh, Zachary Franklin did his part as well. 12 catches for uh, 138 yards through the air and two touchdown grabs. But, you know, we knew this was going to be an uphill battle for UTSA regardless. Army's a really good team and know how to control uh, a game using that that deadly triple option as they uh, jump out to 5-1 and one to start the year. Uh, but I think... If anything, this is just kind of showing that UTSA's success, for better or worse, kind of hinges on Frank Harris and him being healthy. And when he's not, that's really kind of the difference maker for them, unfortunately. So uh, hopefully they get him back up to 100% at some point because uh, they need him if they're going to make a legitimate run at, at CUSA West here. Joe, not that I disagree with you by any stretch of the imagination, because I was squarely on the Frank Harris train after his performance in week one. But damn, UTSA's, you know, success hinges on keeping a quarterback healthy, mm-hmm. whether it's Frank Harris, uh, Josh Adkins, um, uh, Lowell Narcisse. They just they they are snake. They've been snake bitten over the past few years at quarterback position. So that to me, and especially in this COVID year where you only have so many reps to give out and things of that nature and things are just weird overall. I mean, we'll talk about FIU later on that ended up being a weird situation with COVID uh, a couple weeks ago, but yeah, they, their success just hinges on keeping a quarterback healthy because they have sincere McCormick. They have guys like Zachary Franklin who are coming and turning into nice pieces in the defense as well. I look at the rest of this schedule. Here's the big thing for me, Joe, they started out three and oh, now they've lost three. The UAB loss was by eight. BYU, they pushed number 15 BYU to uh, uh, 27-20, and the Army lost 28-16. So it's not like they're getting blown out, but they've lost three straight. My thing is, make sure this isn't a skit, because they're coming back, they're going to play this weekend against Tech. That's a winnable game. FAU's only played one game this year, so we don't even know what we have uh, in Florida Atlantic. Rice hasn't taken the field yet. UTEP, they look better, but still see Southern Miss and North Texas. So just by running down the rest of that schedule, I see... In theory, conceivably four wins right there uh, if they're able to get, you know, consistent quarterback play. So the big thing for me is, yes, you know, they lost this game in credit army. That's obviously a tough team to go against, especially offensively. But make sure that this doesn't turn into a skit, because I think that was the thing with the Frank Harris era is that they'd get those little bursts of wins, but they couldn't sustain them. And uh, this can easily be a six, seven win team, but they can't go three and nine. If my math, quick math, they're three and eight, they're three and nine. If my, yeah, my math is correct here. That can't happen. They got to find a way to, to reel off a couple more wins before the season's done. Really agree with you there, bud. Uh, with everything that's going on with with UTSA, they definitely still have a shot. But like you said, if they can't keep uh, a signal caller healthy, that's deeply concerning for them. Um, with that, then we can just uh, stay in Texas, take a little road trip to Denton and uh, talk about what's going on in North Texas. Uh, They beat MTSU in Murfreesboro over the weekend, 52-35. to Uh, Big day for Jason Bean, two touchdowns, 181 yards through the air. Also ran for 169 yards 
and three touchdowns. So uh, <laughs> congrats to Mr. Bean on a year signature moment so far of your college career. Um, so UT, uh, rather North Texas uh, improved to two and three on the year, one and two in CUSA play. MTSU now just one and five, despite a uh, big game from Asher O'Hara last week. Um, but, you know, really, I don't think this is going to make a huge difference in the grand scheme of things within the league. We knew MTSU was just having troubles across the board. But uh, if nothing else, a strong morale building win for uh, North Texas, who really hadn't had too many of those moments uh, in this young part of the season here. Okay, Joe, I'm going to try my best to be positive in terms of North Texas, right? Because I think I've written in my three things, you, you know, you know, it's about the, the CUSA weekend about North Texas defense. I'm going to be positive, right? Because this was a game that was 28-21 at halftime. And uh, North, Middle Tennessee was up 28-21 at halftime. And North Texas was giving up yards and bunches. It looked like it was going to be a straight shootout. Somehow, some way, the North Texas defense found a way to only hold them to seven points. Kudos. Because that North, Te- North Texas defense hasn't been able to stop anybody. It doesn't matter if it's Clinton Bowen, Troy Reffert, anybody that, who's been manning North Texas defense. They haven't been able to stop anybody. But they found a way to do that. Uh, Middle Tennessee, Scott Schaefer's defense, that's an issue. I mean, they, I believe the number is over 1,500 rushing yards they've given up in six games, including 300-yard rushes, as you mentioned. Jason Bean, 10 carries for buck 69. Three scores, DeAndre Torrey and Trey Siggers also go over 100 yards. Nick Smith also got 57 yards on the ground. So a total of 462 given up by Middle Tennessee. That's a struggle. Jalen Darden, I actually happened to watch this entire game. He had his own one-on-one fight with the entire Middle Tennessee secondary. If you watched any of his catches, he was like T.O., you know, Terrell Owens circa 2005, just like in the the faces of all the MTSU defenders. I don't know what happened there, but he certainly was willing to let, you know, Gregory Great and those guys know that he had a big game. Overall, like you said, Joe, I agree with you. Not, uh, you know, a, a big uh, it doesn't really shake the Richter scale, the fact that UNT was able to get that win because Middle Tennessee State struggled. I guess the big takeaway, and you know, credit to Brett Vito down, down there at the Denton Record Chronicle for writing this, maybe the quarterback battle isn't quite done with Jason Bean and Austin Ani because that's a heck of a performance from him, and I, and I didn't see that type of athleticism from Jason Bean. So, you know, great job by him. Absolutely. You know, I was starting to wonder if uh, the North Texas defense could stop like an Uncle Rico led offense. But if uh, anytime you can limit Asher O'Hara the way they did, that's uh, certainly deserving of a tip of the cap. Um, and then uh, Louisiana Tech, uh, they get a uh, somewhat concerning loss, I guess, against uh, Marshall on their home turf. Uh, Thundering Herd win that one 35 to 17. Marshall 4 and 2 and 0 in CUSA play. Louisiana Tech dropped a 3 and 2. Uh, Grant Wells, big day for him, 227 yards through the air and two touchdowns. Brendan Knox, workhorse, 32 carries, 125 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Eric, last week when you were out, our buddy Steve Helwick filled in for you, and uh, he made the comment that uh, Marshall should be the uh, favorites to win the league at this point. And based on this performance, I'm very much inclined to agree. Hey, Steve Hellick is a smart man. That's why, you know, he's our go-to guy whenever we uh we need some uh some filling coverage here, right? As well as his own coverage here with Rice. You should check out his Rice coverage if you're not already. Yeah. Um, I agree with Steve. You know, I, I don't know at this point, I don't particularly see a team, even UAB in the West, while they're four and one, they haven't looked as impressive as Marshall has to me. Joe, I I you know, I don't want to just make this the Isaiah Green podcast because we did that for two years. 
But <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest difference with this team, man, is they're getting consistent quarterback play. They lost, you know, Obi Obialo. I thought that loss would kill them a receiver. Brock Thompson, uh, you know, Corey Gamage, guys like that. Talik Keaton have stepped up. Xavier Gaines have stepped up. You know, I thought the loss of Levi Brown up front would hurt them. They're doing well in the offensive line. Defensive, uh, defensively, Tavante Beckett, he's a stud. The biggest difference, man, is quarterback. And, you know, I, I hate to just pin it on one guy, but it really helps when you don't have the Isaiah Green game against Charlotte where you go like 6 of 19 for 80-something yards and a couple picks and a fumble. And, you know, credit Doc Holliday. You know, that, that program is on track. They are 4-0. and I think they have a realistic shot at a New Year's Six Bowl game. Obviously, they're going to need some help from the other G5 conferences. But when you look at their route the rest of the way, if they keep playing good football and led by Brendan Knox on offense, you know, they have a chance to run the table. Hard to disagree with that based on what we've seen out of Grant Wells so far. And, you know, I think Brendan Knox might be one of the most underappreciated players, if not in the G5 and all of college football right now, based on what he's contributing to this team. Um, so they are, they have been so fun to watch so far and looking forward to seeing what they can do for the rest of the season. Uh, and uh, two games postponed from last week, FIU were supposed to take on Charlotte in Charlotte. Uh, that game not happening due to uh, COVID-19. Uh, Eric, what's kind of the state of FIU right now with, uh, with what happened there? Yeah, Joe. So I know I missed last week's podcast, so I'll kind of fill in. I don't know if Steve uh, happened touching this or not, but Essentially, when we talked to Butch Davis post game after Middle Tennessee State, he said that the team was dealing with uh, they had 17 false positives. He said that in the post game. Uh, Coach Davis obviously, you know, wanted to win that game as opposed to lose. So when I asked him, hey, why'd you stick with Kalen Wiggins uh, for the entire second half? He said rather, you know, abruptly because he's the only one who practiced. <laughs> so um yeah so they, they were they got really snake bitten as far as false positives and then we see what that turned into as far as having to postpone the game against charlotte everything i've heard you know i, I talked to the folks at fiu and and they resume practice on monday everything i've heard is that they are on track to play the game friday but with that being said uh, you know someone can correct me if i'm wrong i don't know of a conference usa teams i want to make sure i'm emphasizing conference usa of a CUSA team that has had to postpone a game due to COVID that has been able to play the next week. I believe if my, if my research is correct, that the team that has been responsible for the, the, and I hate terming it that way responsible, but the team that had the COVID infections or COVID positive tests that they haven't played uh, until two weeks after. So if my research is correct, FIU would be the first team to play one week after. We'll see what happens. I know they want to get this one in, especially against Jacksonville State, because that game's been moved a couple of times already. So we'll see what happens there. But as of now, it appears as if they will play on Friday evening. Should be interesting to see if that shakes out. Um, and uh, I, obviously, from uh, us talking to Coach Davis, you can understand uh, his frustration and his mindset with everything that's gone into the season so far. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens there. And obviously, seeing him coach against Will Healy would have been uh, nothing short of extremely entertaining. So <laughs> we'll see if that uh, if that happens. Uh, we also missed out on the chance to see UTEP play Southern Miss this past week. Uh, UTEP uh, they get to uh, keep a winning record for a little bit longer it would seem they stay at three and two southern miss still at uh one and three um based on what we've read coming out of southern miss it sounds like scotty walden has absolutely tested positive for uh covid19 which is uh obviously disheartening you hope he's okay but uh <laughs> yet another um 
you know, obstacle thrown in the way of Southern Miss when they've already had a pretty rough go of it to start this year? Yeah, you know, first things first, we've seen it around the league or, or it was around college football, excuse me, I shouldn't say around the league, around college football, you know, Mike Norvell and and there was the the false positive, uh, you know, fiasco debacle with Nick Saban over the weekend. Um, so first and foremost, want to, you know, wish Coach Walden that he is okay. But yeah, man, this is just a reality of college football in 2020. You know, I, I don't think, and, and I, I hate to be a downer on this podcast, but I don't. I don't think that you can function in the way that college football requires. And, you know, COVID is not a risk. So um, it's just something that teams are going to have to deal with. And, and obviously, um, I mean, Jacksonville State's head coach, FIU's opponent, unfortunately, his, his name is escaping me right now. I just did my game prep earlier this week, and I'm, I'm, uh, his name is escaping me. But he tested positive for COVID-19. So it, it doesn't matter, you know, where you're at. It's just one of those things that you're going to kind of have to deal with. And um, and John Grass is, is, is the head coach of Jacksonville State who tested positive. So we'll see if he'll make the trip to Miami. But, yeah, overall, wish Coach Walden a speedy recovery. Hope he's well. And it's just going to be, you know, uh, un- until things change, man, this is kind of be the way it is. Yeah, we are uh, unclear still if he's going to coach against Liberty or not as of recording this. So uh, we'll obviously be following that situation closely and see if they can uh, get a game in against a a very good Liberty team. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Eric, you make an interesting point about kind of the state of college football in a, um, you know, I think if this was maybe two weeks ago, we would have said a post-COVID-19 world. But obviously, this is not a post-COVID-19 world with all these uh, coaches and players still testing positive. So, um, you know, you you kind of made an interesting point in our uh, work group chat uh, earlier this week. Can you still uh, evaluate coaches? Fairly is the wrong term, but can, you know, is it fair to evaluate coaches with the same scrutiny that we would evaluate you know, them in a, in a regular season. And, um, you know, I, I'll let you kind of go first and, and hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So in, you know, in full transparency, this was just kind of a conversation that I had with a couple friends, you know, those of us, a couple guys who, you know, are around the college football space, you know, writers and, and fans, et cetera. And they wondered if it's fair to judge coaches, you know, whether they be assistants or head coaches or et cetera, players even, on this year, and I'll use the example at Arkansas State with David Duggan, who was relieved of his duties as defensive coordinator last week. It's one of those things where, listen, I am not here to say that Arkansas State's defense would be any better if this were not dealing with these circumstances. And I'm not here to say that Blake Anderson just did this thing spur of the moment. You know, if you look at North Texas, they've had to make changes, you know, coming to this year as far as defensive coordinator. I am not here to speculate on anyone's job status, but if you look at Middle Tennessee, offensively, they struggle for the first few games. Defensively, Scott Schaefer certainly has his work cut out for him as far as the run defense is concerned and probably, you know, defense overall. I just don't think, Joe, that I've had some people say to me that this year should almost be a mulligan, right? Like almost like an asterisk. And I, while I'm inclined to agree with them, if, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here. I don't think that coaches should be evaluated in the way they normally would be because of the circumstances, despite the fact that all programs are dealing with them. But with that being said, as long as they still score this thing on this thing on wins and losses, coaches are going to be evaluated accordingly. As long as contracts still say, Hey, if you win X, you will get this. And if you lose the doors that way, 
you this is just gonna be how it is go ask jay hobson i'm sure and listen this podcast hasn't exactly been you know the jay hobson hub uh we've had our own you know criticism as far as uh uh you know moves he may have made in the past but go ask jay hobson i'm sure he would like a, a redo as far as a losing the players he did with players who have chosen who chose to opt out of this year that was a lot of his defense and then b that ugly loss on week one i'm sure he'd love a redo but you know that's just not the way it works so i personally think that it's just tough for me to say that these coaches and, and even players, you know, I look at a guy like Max Bortenschlager at FIU who transfers down to FIU with a chance to compete for the starting job. And he doesn't necessarily get a full off season of, of, you know, practice and things of that nature to compete for the job. And now, you know, he may be the odd man out, you know, uh, if you look at the snap count at FIU, as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, he's the odd man out. So I think it's just affecting everyone across the board. And I think, for players, it's great that this year will not be accrued as to their eligibility. But for coaches, as long as this thing is still scored on wins and losses, it, it, it's a really crappy break for them. Here's my second Uncle Rico reference of the show. Uh, <laughs> I feel like in like 15 years, you're going to have this pocket of guys who are like, man, if COVID hadn't hit, we would have won you know, state championship. I would have won the starting quarterback job, no doubt in my mind. I could throw a football over them mountains. Uh, you know, but, like, but I mean, I, I digress. Um, the point that um, I, I agree with most is like you can't necessarily evaluate coaches the same way that you would uh, in a regular season. I will say I think because of all the extenuating circumstances surrounding this season, you have to just – keep a closer eye on everything in the way that, that coaches do things. You have to look at, you know, why did they lose this game? Was this player, you know, out because of safety protocol was, was this game lost because of coaching decisions or was it just because of, you know, player injuries or the fact that they didn't get to prepare in the proper way. So I don't necessarily think it's like you can completely throw this year away, but I think if you're an AD who's kind of on the fence about, whether or not you need to make a change as uh, you know, for your head coach or your coordinator or whatever, I think this year just simply demands that you take a much closer eye at how your program's operating and, you know, how are they managing games given everything that's going on? And then from there, make your decision. Well, yes, it's, it's not fair to evaluate them by traditional standards because of all the extra obstacles that they've had to face. At the same time, you can't just completely say this year doesn't count, which I feel like there's not very many people who think that way, but there definitely are some that exist. And I just don't, I don't see how you can think that way, given everything we've seen so far. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't deny the fact that the season happened. And if your team looks horrendous, then you have to take that into account. I just would say, Joe, when you look at, take, for example, a team like Rice, who hasn't even hit the field this year. Joe, it's got to, I mean, it's got to suck being a Rice fan. And you look at the West that, quite frankly, is up for grabs. You have UTSA at three and three. You have UTEP has won three games. You look at UAB, they're the beast of the West. But granted, they don't look unstoppable. If you're a Rice fan, you got to be like, damn. We would have had a shot at this, you know, if, we, if this was a regular year, all things considered. Uh -huh. uh, same thing in, in the East, you know, outside of Marshall, you know, everything looks up for grabs. So I just think if you're a coach, you can make the argument that if we weren't dealing with, you know, not having spring practice and a full camp and all these things. Uh, really quick, Joe, we'll end it on this. Typically, and, and sorry, UTEP fans, 
over the past two seasons, UTEP's pretty much been the team that we could ride out, you know, and Rice and say that they have no chance at, at winning the and, and ODU. So there we go. Three of the teams who said they have no chance of winning the, the conference, right? Or at least a division. Joe, can you think of a team this year? Um, you know, maybe the poor Panthers. I, I apologize, coach. Uh, that really doesn't have a realistic shot of, of competing in the East or, or the West. You know, I can't think of one, man. I mean, just based on, you know, what we've in the West, I mean, based on what we've seen so far uh, in terms of just one thing after another, some of it in their control, some of it not. I don't think Southern Miss has a shot at this point. Uh, I do think we're going to get, you know, I think Jack Abraham's going to have a, a chance to get a few more uh, really nice plays on his NFL tape, but that's pretty much the extent of it, given how, uh, you know, injuries and opt-outs have affected that defense. Uh, now their, their coach has, you know, has COVID. I, I don't think Southern Miss does, but um, no, I, I, I completely understand what you're trying to say though. I think like this has definitely opened things up in a way that we didn't expect. Sure. Yeah. And that's just kind of my overall point. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out towards the end of the year, you know, still quite a few weeks left to go as far as the regular season is concerned. But uh, I, I do think there are some coaches who may get a raw deal who, you know, hopefully will, will land on their feet elsewhere. For sure. And if Southern Miss fans didn't hate us already, they absolutely hate us today, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's, let's dive into some predictions for week eight, shall we? Uh, we have FIU hosting Jacksonville state at uh, 7 PM Eastern on ESPN three on Friday night. Uh, one of two Friday night games for CUSA this week, uh, Panthers favored by 10 and a half. Um, I do think the Panthers are going to get a nice little bounce back win if they are able to play as we've uh, already talked about, but um, you know, Jacksonville state, um, a solid start to the year for them at two and one, but ultimately I think FIU is just a more talented team and we're going to see them cover that 10 and a half point line there. Yeah, I do think the Panthers will win, but I don't think this is going to be a, you know, an easy task. They have a quarterback, they being Jacksonville state, the Gamecocks and Zarek Cooper is one of the best QBs in FCS. He's thrown for over 3000 yards the past two years, 28 touchdowns, 32 touchdowns respectively in 2018, 2019, and is a legit NFL prospect. 6'3", 225, has nice legs as well. Here's a big deal for FIU. Uh, the quarterback situation, the three-man rotation at some point in time, it's got to come down to two. And at some point, they're going to have to find a starter. Uh, Butch Davis has not announced what he will do at the quarterback position. But the big thing, Stone Norton, got to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, outside of that, he's played pretty well, given the snaps he's had. Kalen Wiggins, got to push the ball downfield a little bit. He can use his legs, but, you know, 5 of 18, I believe, is Kalen's uh, uh, pass line right now. That's got to improve. And Max Bortenschlager's only gotten like 10 snaps. Or actually, I think it's 18 to be exact. So we'll see what happens there. But at some point, that's got to work itself out because the defense has played well, it's improved, and the run game has been phenomenal. So I'm taking FIU, but you know, keep an eye on it. We also have UAB hosting Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network on Friday. Uh, Blazers favored by one point heading into this game at, uh, at Legion Field. I think this is one of the uh, more, at least for me, anticipated G5 on G5 matchups um of the season so far 
Um, excited to see what uh, UAB can continue to do. We talked about how well they've been able to run the ball and control the clock so far this year. Um, that defense is going to need to bring their A game because this is a really decent Louisiana offense led by Levi Lewis, who's uh, got 900 yards so far through the air with five passing touchdowns. And uh, they keep finding a way to win games in the Sun Belt over there. Um, so I'm going to cautiously pick UAB, but I would not at all be surprised if the Rage and Cajuns pulled this one out. Joe, 100% agree with you. This is a team in Louisiana that beat uh, a top 25 team in Iowa State, 31-14, pretty handedly, you know, pretty decidedly in week one. And quite frankly, that loss to Coastal Carolina, I mean, Coastal Carolina is a solid team, but, you know, UofL has got to be kicking themselves that they lost that one because they had a legit chance to go 4-0. and I'm torn on this one. I'm going to take UAB. I'm going to be the CUSA homer. But here's the deal. We can't have from the quarterback position at UAB, whether it's Bryson Lucero or TJ3, haven't heard yet. I believe it's going to be Lucero. Can't have the silly turnovers. And I think that completion percentage has to get up. It, it can't be around that 55, 58% mark where it is. You know, they're going to have to play really good football to beat Louisiana. I'm going to take, like I said, taking UAB. But uh, I think this game is a one-point game for a reason on the old betting line. For sure, then. Let's uh, move into the Saturday games, uh, starting with uh, Charlotte hosting UTEP at noon Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, as of now, game's still set to go. I know we haven't seen Charlotte take the field in a little bit, uh, but the 49ers favored by 14 and a half against the Miners. A uh, lot of pickaxes in this game, but uh, I'm excited <laughs> to see. I'm excited to see both these teams return to the field. Um, Deion Hankins obviously is has just been really phenomenal to watch so far uh, for UTEP this year. 65 carries, uh, 300 yards on the ground, five touchdowns. Um, I do think. Uh, Charlotte are going to take advantage of the home field advantage here. Um, you know, I don't think you can keep a Will Healy team down for long. Um, so I, I'd be very surprised if they didn't win this one. But uh, based on what we've seen out of UTEP this year, I really expect it to be closer than uh, what Vegas seems to be predicting with a two touchdown game here. I would say Charlotte wins by 10, maybe seven. Joe, I would like to thank you because while I do you know, normally listen to your analysis as far as these games. The only thing I've been able to envision is just Norm the Ni- Norm the Niner versus whoever UTEP's mascot is in some sort of like mining expedition, you know, kind of a mine off there over there at uh, Jerry Richardson Stadium. So I got to kind of get that image out of my head. Yeah, here's the thing. I think Charlotte will win this game. I think overall they're more talented. But as I've kind of emphasized early on uh, throughout the year, Deion Hankins, is the real deal at running back. There's a reason he set the city record for rushing uh, over there in El Paso, and he has come to save the minors. I am all in on the Deion Hankins train. Whether Jacob Cowing and Gavin Hardison can um, provide some spark on offense as well, we'll see. I do think Charlotte wins, but it, I don't think it's going to be as um, as decisive as Vegas is saying. Absolutely. Uh, Liberty hosting Southern Miss at 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. Um, I'm excited for this game uh, just because, uh, look, if, if nothing else, Malik Willis is really fun to watch. I feel like he's another kind of underappreciated talent within the G5 this year. Um, and, uh, you know, USM have such a huge mountain to climb dealing with all of the personnel issues that they've had. I really don't see them having an answer for what we've seen out of the Liberty offense so far this year. So uh, flames pretty easy pick for me in this one. 
Folks, if you have not seen Malik Willis play quarterback, please check into this ball game. He is a heck, not just of a G5 quarterback, heck of a quarterback overall. I mean, there's a reason the guy was at Auburn, began his career there before transferring to Liberty. He had to redshirt last year. He is the real deal. Love Jack Abraham. You know, anyone listening to this podcast knows how much we like him and Scotty Walden, but I just don't think there's any way. Credit Hugh Freeze. doesn't matter if he's coaching this game from the hospital bed up in the press box or on the field. Liberty should take this one. Certainly makes sense then. Uh, and then we have Marshall, in theory, <laughs> hosting uh, Florida Atlantic this week. Uh, of course, the Thundering Hurt up to number 22 in the nation, favored by 16 and a half heading into this game. Uh, we've only seen FAU play once this year. Uh, they started the season 1-0 and a few weeks ago. Um, it feels like an eternity in COVID time, but uh, 2.30 Eastern is when you can catch that one. Um Look, I mean, as good as FAU looked in that one game that they did play, I think Marshall has all the momentum here. And let's not forget they have Brendan Knox and Grant Wells. So I feel very confident in picking them so far. Uh, if FAU had been able to get in some sort of something resembling a rhythm at some point in this young part of the season, then we might be having a different conversation. But we're not. So give me the thundering hurt. It is time for arguably Conference USA's best rivalry. That rivalry being FAU fans versus Brendan Knox. <laughs> FAU fans feel that Brendan Knox was spurred to his 220 yards last year by the poor officiating, one that former FAU head coach Lane Kiffin made light of with his tweets. Uh, here's the deal. Sorry, FAU fans. I, I know that if this game doesn't take place, Boca Raton may spontaneously combust and just you know dissolve off into the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Brendan Knox is a damn good running back. He's the best running back in Conference USA by, for my money. No disrespect to guys like Spencer Brown. And there's a reason why the uh, the Thundering Herd and Doc Holliday have been able to ride him to a number 22 ranking and ride him over the past year and a half. So he is the real deal. I would love to have seen this game if maybe Chris Robinson was still a part of the team, if maybe, you know, Aquilas Leroy was still a part of the team. But Grant Wells was playing really good football. Brendan Knox is, like I said, it's a stud. So give me Marshall. Then we have Rice hosting MTSU at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, Rice actually favored heading into this one by three and a half here. Um, look, I'm picking MTSU for the upset because I think Ash O'Hara is going to go off against a defense that hasn't played real football in quite some time. This is their first game of the season uh, in theory. So we'll see if they can end up uh, making a difference here. Uh, obviously, Rice has some talent on that team as we kind of saw towards the end of last season. But uh, I feel pretty confident in saying MTSU might get one back uh, in the win column in this game. If Brad Rosner was suiting up for Rice, I would pick Rice. I think they have enough offensive talent. However, he has chosen to opt out. Rice as well is also missing uh, George Nyakwal and Naeem Smith at the safety position. Prudy Calderon will fill in at the free safety. I'm not sure if we're starting a strong safety. I think Asher O'Hara is going to find a way to gut this one out. Yes, Rice has Blaze Aldridge, but Asher's a gamer, and uh, I think he'll find a way to get this one back, especially from the loss last year at Murfreesboro. Absolutely. Uh, and then we have Western Kentucky hosting uh, the Chattanooga Mocs on ESPN3 at 4 Eastern. Uh, tops favored by 14 and a half heading into this one. Look, Chattanooga, uh, you know, no disrespect to that program, but uh, FCS team playing their one and only game of the fall here against uh, WKU. We uh, don't 
really know who's going to start at uh, quarterback for the top so far. Uh, if Pickram's healthy, you would think they'd probably go back to him. Uh, but look, if Western Kentucky doesn't win this game, then I think there's cause for serious concern within that program, unfortunately, because pandemic or no, you can't start the season one and five the year after your, uh, your coach wins conference coach of the year. You, it, it just can't happen. So uh, I'm picking the tops. And if they don't, then, you know, um, someone check on me on Sunday. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no need for me to add anything more than that. Give me the tops. <laughs> uh, UTSA hosting Louisiana Tech to round out Saturday's slate, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, ESPNU there. Um, tech favored by one and a half heading into this game. I think this is going to be really interesting. I do think, you know, we've, we've got two teams here that are dealing with some depth issues uh, for better or worse, um, which I don't know why it would be better, but I digress. Uh, UTSA, um, if they can stay healthy at quarterback, like we said earlier in the show, then I really think they can take this one. Uh, Sincere McCormick has been playing so well, despite everything else that his team has had to deal with. Um, and they're playing at home, which really helps. So I'm picking UTSA for the slight upset in this game. Yeah, Joe, uh, I am torn, really torn as a matter of fact, just because if Frank Harris is healthy and you know at home, I think that could be a really intriguing matchup. Give me Louisiana Tech only because I believe that Justin Henderson is due for a bounce back game along with uh, uh, Israel Tucker there. I, I, I think that the rushing game is is really, you know, due for, for a bounce back. And, and, and the, the, the passing game as well. I mean, with Aaron Allen has been solid. <sighs> it's so tough. I want to take UTSA because I love what everything that Jeff Trailer is doing down there. But yeah, uh, give me um, give me Louisiana Tech. I just think there's too much there, especially on offense. Interesting there. Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to that game in the primetime slot on Saturday uh, on ESPNU. So we'll see if it lives up to the expectations. Um, with that, then hopefully we uh, we lived up to your expectations with uh, this episode of the Underdog Podcast. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. Would uh, really appreciate the uh, help in uh, getting the show to grow a little bit there. Uh, if you want to follow Eric and myself on Twitter at J O E H I O underscore at Eric C Henry underscore, and of course at underdog dynasty for all the content coming out of the main site, which you should check out every day now that we are in the full swing of things. Um, and uh, of course, thanks again to Steve Helwick for filling in last week. Glad to have Eric back uh, feeling healthy and uh, you know, I don't know what, uh, there's no adjective I can give that would sound, that would not sound weird. So just glad you're feeling okay, buddy. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, of course, man. Happy football watching everybody. We'll talk to you soon. 